You're listening to a recording of a live radio show on NPR News. If you want to listen to us in real time, you can stream our show live weekdays at 9 a.m. Central. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Good morning and welcome to NPR News. I'm Ewan Kerr sitting in for Kerry Miller. We're talking politics this morning, both here and in Europe. Later in the hour, we will talk Brexit. British Prime Minister Theresa May survived a vote of no confidence last week over Brexit, but confusion still reigns. With the United Kingdom scheduled to leave the European Union on March 29th, nothing seems certain. We'll talk to some experts, and we also want to hear from you, of course. Call us at 651-227-6000 or toll-free at 800-242-2828. What do you want to know about Brexit and how it affects you? But before that, we turn to another hub of political chaos, Washington, D.C., for our weekly conversation with the king of chaos, the political junkie, Ken Rudin. Good morning, Ken. I love that introduction. Good morning. I'm trying. Well, thank you. Well, what a weekend. And and of course, it looks like we're going to have quite a week with this uh, threat of a partial government shutdown. President Trump wants $5 billion to build his border wall. And he said he'd be proud to block government, uh, government funding appropriation and shut down the government if he doesn't get what he wants. Congressional leaders are digging in their heels. What's what's going to happen? Well, it's really up to President Trump because, of course, if there was going to be a shutdown, the Republicans would have loved to have blamed it on on the Democrats. The Schumer shutdown was a famous a a favorite a favorite catchphrase earlier this year when there was a brief shutdown over the DACA program, the the Dreamers, and things like that. But um, but when President Trump on Tuesday in his meeting in the Oval Office with Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer said, "Well, look, I will take responsibility for the shutdown," the Democrats said, "Sure, fine, go, you know, be my guest." And of course, the Republicans are unhappy with that. But there's no sign of anybody backing down. Uh, Stephen Miller, the top uh, top uh, uh, national uh, 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 policy aide of, of President Trump, said yesterday that we will sh- we will we will get the border no matter what. You know, there will be no stopping us in getting the getting the border wall done. We'll have to shoot the shut the government down if necessary. So the both sides are dug in. Well, I mean, I I heard someone use the word weeks. Uh, this morning, saying they don't really know that there seems a good chance that the shutdown is going to happen and it's going to last a long time. I mean, is this just scaremongering? Well, look, I mean, both. It seems like both sides, Republicans and Democrats, minus President Trump, would love to do not want to shut down. And basically, there's some people saying, "Well, let's just do this for two weeks. Let let's just have a a spending a, 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 a spending program that would last two weeks, and we'll go to negotiations earlier in the in the beginning of the year, the beginning of the year." But of course, the the Democrats take over the House on January 3rd, which will increase their leverage. So I don't know why the Republicans don't just do some kind of compromising because their power will be lessened dramatically next year. But the president still says he's not backing down at all. Remember, this was the wall that Mexico was once going to pay for it. That's what he promised during the campaign. Now he's insisting that Democrats, and the reason he needs Democratic votes is because for it to pass in the Senate, you need 60 votes. And right now on the current making of the Senate, the Republicans only have 51. So they need at least nine Democratic votes to pass it. And he doesn't have those votes at all. 
I get a sense we'll be talking about this next week. But we should move on to the Affordable Care Act, uh, known to some as Obamacare. Late Friday, a judge in Texas ruled the ACA is unconstitutional. Uh, a year ago, that would have been a dream come true for opponents of, of the law, but uh, perhaps not so much now? We, we have a, no, I don't I, think so. First of all, I, I'm just going to say that I think most people feel that this this law, this uh, ruling by the judge in Texas will be overturned. Uh, and if anything, I mean, the last thing Republicans want is to be responsible or at least held responsible for the loss of uh, insurance uh, for, for like 20 million Americans. So, I mean, this came, the president was very pleased with the ruling from the judge, but ultimately nobody thinks it's going to last. And if anything, if it does last, it could backfire on the Republicans. The Republicans are not too happy with the way things are going lately. They don't want to be held responsible for a shutdown, but they will if President Trump holds to his guns. And they don't want to be responsible for the loss of millions of people losing their insurance, but they will if this if this uh, court decision in Texas stays. So right now it's not good. The Republicans seem to be playing more defense than anything else. Ultimately, though, I think this this uh, decision in Texas will be overturned. But that is likely to take some time, though. I mean, the it's I, it seems likely it will end up before the Supreme Court. I mean, we're again we're talking months at the at the very least now. Well, that's true, but I mean, but I think that the, what the decision in Texas called for wouldn't change anything for several months anyway. So while it works its way into the courts. Ultimately, I don't think anything happens right away. It'll still be months before anything uh, changes, if it's going to change at all. But you're absolutely right. It still will go through the courts. And once again, uh, you know, it, it may very well reach the Supreme Court, which it did once before. And perhaps a lot of people sweating in the meantime. But let, let, let's move on. Um, last week, we had the Michael Cohen sentencing. Tomorrow, we have Michael Flynn being sentenced. Uh, is, will this be as big of a deal as the, the Cohen sentencing last week? Well, it's it's cumulative. I mean, basically, you have people close to the president. You have the, the president's longtime lawyer and fixer. I say fixer in quotes, but that's what Michael Cohen has been known for. And Michael Flynn, of course, being the national head of the National Security Agency, National Security Advisor, who famously during the uh, 2016 campaign talked about locking her up regarding Hillary Clinton. And now we're wondering whether Michael Flynn gets locked up. He may not, but the fact is that because of the Flynn uh, uh, sentencing, because of Michael Cohen's guilty plea, because of the Manafort uh, case, it seems like both Robert Mueller and federal investigators, whether it's about Russia, whether it's about hush payments to these women who were, who claim they had affairs with, with Donald Trump, they are the, the investigations are getting closer and closer to the president. And a lot of people say that maybe one of the reasons he's so adamant about the wall is to distract from his legal problems, because the legal problems are growing. And as I said, once the Democrats take over the House on January 3rd, you will see more investigations, more subpoena, uh, more testifying, uh, more people being brought for the Democratic run uh, committees. Uh, testimony. So it may not be a, a great year for the president. Matter of fact, it may be a year filled with investigations and more chaos. Well, he does seem to be, I mean, at least from this vantage point, increasingly alone. I mean, we went through the, the situation last week where it seemed like person after person was turning down what usually is the plumb job of the chief of staff. And, uh, you know, one by one, people kind of pulled away. So, I mean, is this in, what is this indicative of? 
Well, the president will say the opposite. He'll say that a lot of people really wanted this job. And, of course, most people know that is not true. I mean, first of all, he was willing to get rid. He was working to get rid of uh, John Kelly for months. It was clear that Ivanka Trump and Jared Kushner and other people close to the president wanted Kelly out. The president is often and apparently that Kelly and Trump got into heated shouting matches over, over many things behind closed doors. So there's no love lost between the president and John Kelly. But the people he wanted, like Nick Ayers, the, the chief of staff for Vice President Pence and others, they said they don't want it because how do you become, I mean, the thought of being chief of staff in an administration where the president sees himself as his own chief of staff, let alone his own secretary of state and own defense, his own defense secretary, it's almost impossible. It's an almost an impossible job in somebody in an administration where the president is so mercurial, so so willing to just do things on his own without any consultation. It's almost a thankless job. But they got Mick Mulvaney, who's you know um, been a loyal soldier, uh, and he knows how Congress works. So maybe the president thinks he bought some time with Mulvaney as the acting chief of staff. But it's really a thankless job, especially in this administration. Well, speaking of um, thankless tasks, we, we also had uh, Ryan Zinke, the Interior Secretary, handing in his resignation. He'll be around until early into the new year. Uh, he has stepped away under the pressure from a series of ethics investigations. And it's, what can we learn from his story? Well, uh, what what we've learned from the beginning is that the president is, you know, the president's claim of promising to drain the swamp in Washington was obviously a hollow promise in the fact that there were over a dozen investigations into Zinke about about conflicts of interest and business deals that benefited family. And um, I mean, you have a lot of investigations going over, going on with members of the cabinet uh, who have either resigned or under suspicion. Now, the fact that Zinke is resigning uh, doesn't mean that the problems go away because you know that the, the investigations by the Department of Justice may still continue. And, of course, if they don't continue, you know the House will have a lot of questions to ask when the Democrats take over in January. But the fact is, is that many, you know, many, too many of these people have, have found themselves in, in ethics quandaries that the, promise, the president promised would not happen. But it seems like nothing is changing. As a matter of fact, the guy, the person who's likely to replace Zinke is is a, a former a former oil and gas lobbyist uh, who's promised to do the same kind of uh, anti environmental policies that Zinke has done. So, I don't know what lessons are learned except that you know when when one person leaves, they certainly have somebody to replace them uh, at the at the ready. Well, of course, we just had this major conference in Poland, Katowice, uh, which was following up on the the discussions that led to the Paris Climate Accord. And we had this strange situation of uh, U.S. representatives there because, of course, the U.S. is still part of this accord until 2020, but arguing in favor of uh, fossil fuels. But then also a lot of U.S. representatives kind of working uh, as part of the, the initiatives to, to try and reduce climate change. I mean, what, where, where are we on this from at least the administration's point of view? Well, we're not among the world's leaders, that's for sure. I mean, for the fact that still in 2018, we're still arguing on behalf of fossil fuels and, and coal, 
when I think there was one comment that was made in during at, at the Polish conference that w- resulted in laughter. Like, I mean, who? I mean, you know, think of what's going on in Poland with with pollution and coal and and its air quality, and everybody knows that you know the world the world needs better better air, cleaner air, and U.S. policies are not leading the way. And that's true about about nationalism and immigration and all the things that once upon a time the United States leading the world in, but since 2017, it seems like on climate change, on immigration, on nationalism, it seems like the United States is no longer the world leader it once uh, portrayed itself as, that's for sure. Let me just briefly ask you, we're going to be spending the rest of the hour talking about Brexit. I mean, what is, uh, we? I mean, President Trump has said that uh, he's a Brexit fan. He looks forward to negotiating new trade deals with the U.S. But what, what's your sense as to what members of Congress are thinking about what's going on in, in Europe at the moment? I think there's a, there's a lot of alarm uh, feeling what's going on in Europe. First, the fact, the fact is, is that the leaders of our top three allies, Britain, Germany, and France, are under tremendous internal strife back home, uh, questions about their leadership from among their own parties. And I think the more that you have these Brexit kind of deals in, in, in Europe, it, it just leads to a rise in anti-immigration parties. So I think that, you know, everybody's going their separate way. Everybody's ruling out globalism. Everybody's more isolationist, more wary about immigrants. And this is what happened in the United States in 2016 with the election of Trump. It could happen. I mean, these anti-immigrant parties could result in the aftermath of Brexit. Could think, Similar things could happen in France and Germany as well. And if that happens, I think the feeling in this country is that the, the, the once unified response of the West to Russia and other kind of uh, forces, you know, fears about that uh, may come to an end. And that's quite worrisome to members of Congress and as it should be to most people in America. Well, Ken, we can only wait and watch, I suppose. Ken Rudin, the political junkie, joining us from Washington, D.C., or somewhere outside Washington, D.C.? I can't remember where you are. It's a a secret secret location. Secret location, okay. Thank you again. We'll talk to you next week. Take care. Thanks, Ewan. You just heard a recording of a live radio show on NPR News. To add your voice to discussion, you can call in at 800-242-2828 or tweet us at NPR. And if you miss us live, you'll find all our shows by subscribing to this podcast. You can send us your questions or comments by emailing talk at npr.org.